morning, Rocky Peak. Great to see you here. Um, oh, what a weekend it's been with all this crazy weather, huh? Uh, man, uh, Lynn and I were down on Thursday and Friday, came back yesterday. We were visiting with some uh, pastor friends from our previous church. We hadn't seen them in many years, kind of reunion. And, uh, and on the way home, we came home yesterday, came through Redland, and it felt like going through Chicago again. It was like... <laughs> There was like big accumulation of snow, cars going by with snow packs on them. And it was so scary because we're surrounded by California drivers <laughs> in the snow. And you're just like, you know, you're just watching the skid accidents all over. And just so thankful, praising God, we made it home uh, for a change without another story. So uh, excited about that. Hey, I just wanted to add on to what, um, what Kellyanne was saying. We're so excited to be. Uh, continue to build our, our kids' ministry here, but especially interested uh, and excited about kind of reopening it on Saturday nights. And as you can see from that insert, how many people it's going to take. And so I just really, really want to encourage you that if you're on the fence, kind of, uh, I'd kind of push you over onto the right side of, uh, of checking that out because uh, a lot of you may not know this, but our kids' ministry, uh, most of our volunteers just serve like every other week um, or twice a month. And so it's just like, for many of you, it'd be a great opportunity to serve, just to come twice a month on a Saturday night, serve, and then come back here at 11 o'clock and just take in for yourself. It's a great way to serve the body. So I just encourage you to be thinking and praying about that because we're really excited about that opportunity. Uh, but we're going to be going to our time of teaching right now. So if you haven't done so already, inside your program is a green and white message note sheet. And... Um, and so if you could uh, take that out. For those of you who are joining us online, a special welcome. And whether it's at the top or the bottom, there's a, there's a link, depending on your format, to choose whichever uh, style you, you prefer the most. So if you guys are ready to go, I'm ready to jump in. You guys ready to go? Okay, let's pray. Father, we're just excited to be here in your house on this day. And Lord, in all seriousness, we just want to thank you for being the one that sends the rain. And we just have so needed it. So we thank you for the rain. We thank you for the snow and uh, I just reflect on your, your word that says in Isaiah that as the rain and snow come down from heaven and water the earth and cause beautiful things to spring up, so is your word that waters us and, and causes new life. And so we pray that today will be another day where your word would cause new life to spring up in us. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, our story begins today. It's a, it's a fall day. In fact, it's on October 25th. And, and uh, we had taken off a few days earlier uh, to fly across a kind of international flight. And, uh, and, and everything about this trip has gone wrong so far. Uh, we, 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 our, our initial flight uh, was delayed. And that caused us to meet our uh, connecting flight. And as a result, we were getting into our destination city extremely late at night. And we went to pick up our luggage. We found out that they'd lost it. And so we had to go and fill out the paperwork. By the time we got to our hotel, it was past midnight. And we had no clothes, none of our cosmetics, anything like that. And then the next couple of days, we were on a sight, uh, sightseeing adventure. And the next couple of days, it was raining. And so very difficult to be out in the rain and seeing these sights. And, uh, but, but now this is the third day, and uh, we've just arrived at one of the cities we're most looking forward to seeing, and, and one of the sites that I was most wanting to see in this entire trip. And, uh, and so we, we got off the bus we were on, we started heading up this path, uh, eventually came to these steps leading up, kind of several flights of steps up, up to the top of this mountain, 
um, where you could oversee uh, the entire city, but also where you could view one of the, the most iconic, famous sites in all the world. And, um, and so we took our pictures, we explored that whole area, but then afterwards, uh, I went to look for what I really wanted to see, which is a much less famous site, but for me, one of the highlights of this whole trip. And so we took off down the hill to see if we could find it. Well, today, we are wrapping up this series that we've been in for the last, what, seven weeks? This is week eight. This is called Worldview Renewing Your Mind. And if you were here at the start of this series, you may remember this. I had three major goals for this series. Number one was to, to help us understand kind of the rapid social changes that are happening in our culture and why they're happening, so we can make sense of that. Number two was that so we can understand what it looks like to be faithful to follow Jesus in a world where competing worldviews are increasingly in influencing our culture. And number three, to understand the worldviews that are impacting our culture so that we can effectively build bridges and continue to share Christ and, and have an impact on our culture in a positive way for Jesus and his kingdom. And it's this third, this third goal that we're really focusing in on today. Like, now that we've learned what we've learned about worldview, how do we take what we've learned and get practical and help us kind of share Christ with people in our lives we know and love but have a completely different worldview? And so what I want to do today is share five key steps that we need to take uh, to share Christ effectively, build bridges in our culture, and then come back at the end, and as we wrap up this series, ask two important questions. So there in your note sheet, you see a section called Worldview Building Bridges. So let's jump in. So the first step that we're going to need to take if we're going to build bridges and share Christ effectively is that we need to embrace our assignment. Now, you say, well, what do you mean embrace our assignment? Well, we live in a culture, as we've talked about so often in this series, that is increasingly hostile to the worldview of Jesus in his message. And, uh, and one of the reasons for that is we, we live in a, in a world that's been greatly influenced by kind of a postmodern worldview. It's, there's your truth and there's my truth, but there is no such thing as the truth, truth with a capital T. Well, that is our message, right? That is our message. As you, as you see there in your note sheet, we follow the one who said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. But when you live in the midst of a culture that doesn't believe that there's the truth, they only believe there's your truth and my truth, to make the claim that there is the truth is by nature offensive. And the more we, and as our culture goes more down that path, it becomes, we be, uh, it often looks and will often be accused of being arrogant or even being uh, uh, hostile or even violent, that we're in the pursuit of power to take our truth and make it their truth. And the end result of this is whether you've kind of understood why or not, I think most of us in our culture are feeling like slower at times to share Jesus because we intuitively sense the pushback that's going to come. And what we're going to see today, though, as followers of Jesus, that sharing Jesus is not an option for us, that this goes to the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and this is the, the big assignment that he gave us when he left. And there's many passages in the New Testament that talk about this, but one of the best is in the, at the end of Matthew's gospel in Matthew 28, as Matthew is kind, of, is kind of wrapping up his account of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. 
And the final scene in that chapter, it's after the resurrection, but before the ascension, that 40-day period, and he says, and he kind of sets it in that scene, and he says, there was this time where Jesus met with his disciples, and he gave them sort of their final marching orders for his movement. And it's there on your note sheet, in Matthew 28, we call this a great commission, but uh, he says, all authority, this is Jesus speaking, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, don't miss that. What Jesus is saying is by virtue of his life, his death, and his resurrection, he has been promoted. And he is now the king, the top authority of all creation. And he says, as king of all creation, these are my marching orders for you as my followers. He says, therefore, you know, because I'm the king, go and make what? Now, so a disciple is just a follower. It's a New Testament work for a follower. So go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely, I'll be with you every step of the way, right? So, so what I want you to catch is that, that for us as followers of Jesus, part of our core calling is to be taking the message of Jesus and sharing it with those who don't know. But what I want you to catch is as, we, as our culture becomes more and more post-Christian, as it becomes more and more post-modern, this becomes, in a sense, harder and harder to do. And the temptation is for us as Christians to develop what I like to call a fortress mentality, where we withdraw from the culture, we just hang out with one another, and we complain constantly how this whole culture is going to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> but that's not the calling of a follower of Jesus. This is why in our vision statement as a church, our vision is to unleash a movement of passionate Christ followers. And then we have four phrases to describe what a passionate Christ follower is, and the last one is sharing Christ. And so the, the idea is that this, uh, the, the cost of sharing Jesus is going up, and yet as followers of Jesus, this is our assignment, and we can never let go. I was, uh, with, I was with one of these pastors uh, down in uh, Rancho Mirage that we were uh, super close to in our kind of previous church and so on, and uh, he, he's, uh, he, he does a lot of traveling around the country for leadership training and so on. And he was, we were talking about this. And he was saying, hey, you know, when I, when I used to fly, he said, people would ask me what I did. And I would tell them, I'm a pastor. And right away, they would want me to know that they were okay spiritually. <laughs> and so they would start saying, well, yeah, my great-grandfather was a pastor. You know, I have a friend who's a pastor. Uh, my dad was a pastor. I've got an uncle who's a pastor. But they wanted you to know that, that we're okay because we're associated with some pastor. Right? He said, now when they say, what do you do? And he says, I'm a pastor. They pull out their AirPods and put them in. <laughs> Are you with me? And, and I think whether we could describe why that's happening, we all sense it intuitively. That there's less and less openness because there's so many misconceptions about what Christianity really is. And because as our culture changes, well, the Christian culture is increasingly at odds with the popular culture, that it's becoming, we kind of sense it. And can I tell you this? The younger you are demographically, the more you feel this. We all feel it, but the younger you are, because the culture has become so postmodern, 
In fact, our culture is really sort of, a, I'd say most people are a mix between naturalism, postmodernism, and new age spirituality. And because of that, the thought of that there is one way, just by definition, is offensive. And yet, what we're seeing is that as followers of Jesus, we cannot retreat. But what we do need to do is we need to get better in how we share the message. All right? And that leads to number two. So the second principle is that we need to develop a missionary mindset. That if we're going to share Christ well and have an impact on our culture, we need to develop a missionary mindset. And you say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, let's say that you're going to be a missionary, and you're going to, you're going to train, you're going to go to Africa, you're going to go to Asia, you're going to go to South America, you're going to be sharing Jesus with people who've never heard of him. Well, one of the things you're going to do is you're going to have to learn the language, right? But on top of that, you're going to, equally as important is you're going to have to learn the culture. You're going to have to learn how they think. You're going to have to learn their ideologies, and so that you'll be able to share Jesus in a way that makes the most sense in that culture. And here's what I want you to catch, is we live in a culture that is now post-Christian. It's no longer a Christian culture. And so what this means is that, that as we've seen early in the study, that very few people in our country, maybe 6 to 10% at most, have a truly biblical worldview. And what that means is that we have to really develop a, a missionary mindset, and we, we're going to have to not only know our story, kind of a Christian worldview, but we have to know their story. We have to understand who people are, how they think, the way their worldview works, so that we'll be able to build bridges between, between their story and the Jesus story. And we'll talk in just a minute more about building uh, bridges. But uh, the Apostle Peter talks about this there in your note sheet. He talks about sharing Christ, and he says, uh, the context of this passage, by the way, is a context of persecution. Uh, Christians are being persecuted, uh, and he says, but you know, don't pull back from that. Don't allow that to cause you to stop sharing Christ. And he says, so here's what you need to do. In your hearts, the first step is to revere Christ as Lord. Remember, he was elevated, he's king of creation. So make sure in your own life you're clear on that, that you're bowing the knee to King Jesus, and you're following him as your Lord. Right, you're following his command. He says, and then always be what? Okay, so underline that. Next, he says, so always be prepared to give a what? An answer. So an answer implies a question, right? He says, that if you're following Jesus, people are going to ask you questions. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. So that hope is when Jesus comes back, but you know, takes in the whole Christian worldview. He says, but do this with what? Gentleness and respect. So notice four things that Peter says. He says, first of all, if we're going to have an impact in our culture, we can't give in to fear. We have to, we have to say Jesus is Lord. We have to bring our life under him. We have to follow Jesus as our Lord. We're committed to that. Number two, he says, if you're doing that, people are going to ask you questions. We'll talk about this more later. But they're going to ask you questions about your faith or what you believe or why you do what you do. And he says, and when they do ask questions, you need to be prepared. We need to be ready to give that answer. And he says, but when you give them the answer, you need to give them an answer in a way it's not harsh, it's not condemning, it's not critical, but we're to give them, we're to respond with gentleness and respect, okay? So what I'm suggesting, we live in this culture that's increasingly uh, 
post-Christian, often anti-Christian. And if we're going to reach this culture for Christ, your friends, relatives, coworkers, we're going to, first of all, we're going to have to go to school. We're going to have to learn our story. We have to learn the Christian worldview, not just, hey, Jesus died for my sins, and that's how you go to heaven. That's a piece of the story. That's the pinnacle of the story. But we have to understand the story. And that's what we've been doing in this series. But this series is just the start of a journey. That's all it is. This isn't the end of our story. This is like the beginning of our story. So we have to know our story. But secondly, we have to know their story. We have to understand their worldview, their ideologies, because it's an understanding theirs will be able to build bridges. And we'll come back to that in just a minute. Now, this is so important, not only that we have developed a missionary mindset, not only for the sake of our friends, family, coworkers, this is incredibly important for the sake of our children and our grandchildren. Because the reality is right now, if you have kids or you have grandkids, they are being inundated 24-7 from the earliest ages with these alternate worldviews. And it's extremely intentional. Like if you have young children or grandchildren, I hope you're paying attention to the cartoons they're watching. Because the cartoons are intentionally inserting alternate worldviews. And in a very cute way. And it doesn't start with cartoons. It happens in our public school system, for sure, has a huge agenda, a different worldview. It's a postmodern, woke worldview. Different assumptions about life. And it's very intentional. Right? And depending on your district or whatever, more or less, right? I get all that, but... This is a very intentional, it's happening through education, it's happening through uh, social media, it's happening through regular media, it's happening through government, it's happening in business. So when we're raising kids in a culture like this, if we're not intentionally as parents, understanding that as a parent, it's your primary responsibility to disciple your child. If we don't understand that, and if we just trust like an hour of church on Sunday, that that's going to do it. That's not going to do it. Because your kids are being inundated all the time. And as followers of Jesus, as parents, you need to understand these worldviews. You need to understand these ideologies so your kids are hearing the truth from you first. And so that in age-appropriate ways, you're able to step into that and help them understand not only what others believe, but why the story of Jesus is the only map that leads to life, and why every other map leads to a cul-de-sac or a sheer cliff. And so this is one of the things that that we, I want to encourage you as parents or grandparents that we have to get smarter about this. We have to understand what's happening in our culture, what the messaging, what the lies are, so that we are there to able to shepherd and disciple our own kids well. And just for you to know, behind the scenes, this is one of our top priorities as a church, that we're trying to figure out how, how do we come alongside every ministry from the youngest kids all the way through adulthood, how do we come along every ministry to help identify the lies of culture to counteract with the truth of the Christian worldview? And so you'll be hearing more about that. Now, you might say, hey, I don't know how to do that. 
You know, I, I don't even understand it. This has been like really challenging for me. Okay, well, here's the thing. On the back of your note sheet, I'm giving you a list of resources. And uh, these are all things I've personally read, used. Uh, I would highly recommend them. And the beautiful thing is, you might say, hey, I'm not a reader. I, I'm not a scholar. I'm not, that's okay, because in this, uh, in this day and age, we're so blessed. There are so many resources addressed to different audiences to help them understand these things. And, uh, and they come in all kinds of forms, audiobooks, podcasts, uh, videos. Uh, there's so many different forms. But if we're going to reach our culture, that we're going to have to develop a missionary mindset and be way more intentional than we have in the past. Now, number three. Number three, the third step we need to do after we embrace our assignment, we develop a missionary mindset, is we need to start by building bridges. That when we're having conversations with someone who has a different worldview than us, a different ideology, we need to start by building bridges. And you say, well, what is a bridge? A bridge is a belief, a value, or an assumption that we share in common with a person of a different worldview. Okay, a bridge is, it's a belief, it's a, it's a value or an assumption that we share. So here's what we've learned throughout this series. Remember, I've talked to you about this often, that if we're gonna grow up as followers of Jesus, we have to grow in our discernment. We can't just say something's good or bad. We have to say what's good and what's bad and why. And if we do this, we'll be able to build bridges because here's the reality. In every other worldview, in every other ideology, Marxism, critical race theory, naturalism, post, there are always pieces of truth in those worldviews. And in fact, it's the truth that draws people to it. So something may be 15% true and 85% false. And if you follow it, it will lead to destruction. But as followers of Jesus, we need to be able to know the 15% that's true because that becomes the bridge for conversation. Like, let me give you an example. If you're talking to someone who's a naturalist, a materialist, hey, I don't believe in God, I just believe in evolution. I believe in science. Well, as Christians, we can say, well, that's awesome. We love creation. We love, we love nature. And we're all for science. We're not for philosophy that masks itself as science. But we're all for science. And so, yeah, we, did you know that, that, like science, that science as we knew it actually developed only in Western culture? And it, it developed because of the cre Christian presuppositions about the universe? that it didn't develop in anywhere else in the world like it's developed in the Western world. That's because the, we, the Christianity taught there's a rational God. And a rational God puts rationality into his universe. And so you can discover that without a Christian worldview, it never would have developed. See, we can affirm that. When we're talking to someone who's a postmodern who says, well, I don't believe in absolute truth. All truth is just a social construct, science included. We can say, well, you know what? There's been a lot of truth claims that have been made over time that have been false, and I can understand why you'd feel that way, but what about this? You see? If we're talking with someone who's really into social justice, we can affirm that while I love your heart for the oppressed, you know, that's something we see in Scripture, that God has a heart for those who are oppressed. And as followers of Jesus, that's one of our dear values, 
that we would stand up for those without a voice and are being abused and, and to speak for them. But, but we would see it a little bit differently here. You see what I'm saying? That, that instead of coming out with our guns blaring why everything they believe is wrong, which just causes a wall to go up and stop the conversation, how much better to like say, hey, here's what we agree on, and then to build a bridge that gives us the opportunity to compare the answers they give to life's most important questions to the answers Jesus gives to life's most important questions. Let me give you an example. One of the best examples of this is, comes in the life of the Apostle Paul, and this takes us back to the story that we started the day with. Uh, the story, you know, back in 2015, it was in the fall, Lynn and I went to, uh, went to, uh, we, we went to Greece and Turkey to visit some of the, the sites of the ancient church, uh, church where Paul and some of the other apostles were. And, uh, and so we got there, you know, the trip started off horribly and uh, losing our luggage and rainy and all. But I think it was on the third day, it was, I mean, it was October 25th, that we, uh, we got to Athens. And this is one of the sites I wanted to see the most. And the first place we got to in Athens, we, we got to the site of the Parthenon, one of the most famous and iconic sites in the world. And so we walked up this long path with other other tourists, and then it gets to these steps that you kind of, you go up the, the hill, you get on the top. When you get on the top, you've got not only the Parthenon, but a lot of people don't know this, all around that mountain were like shrines and altars to different gods of, of Athens, right? In fact, I've got a couple pictures here. So there's the Parthenon back there. It's kind of getting late in the day. You move on. Next picture. You see the sun starting to set. Just absolutely beautiful. And this whole area around it is covered with uh, different shrines and places of worship and so on. And then you go to the next one. This is our selfie for Christmas cards. Yeah. All right. That's good enough. All right. So, so but, but here's the thing. As much as I wanted to see the Parthenon, there was something I wanted to see more. And this is something that some of you will remember this, but it was, a, it was a place that is referred to in Acts 17 when Paul first went to Athens. It's a place called the Areopagus, which translated from the Greek means Mars Hill. Right? And so uh, some of you will remember this, but what, what happened is uh, when possible, oh, oh, by the way, I did find it, but it wasn't so impressive, so I'm not showing you a picture. Although I love <laughs> I loved being there. Um, but it's kind of a smaller hill. It's kind of eroded and so on. But anyway, the story behind this is that uh, hundreds of years before Paul got there, that the, the Athenians had their top-level council, you know, their democracy, and uh, they, it, it met on this hill called Mars Hill, and, or the Areopagus. And so as time went on, they no longer met there with the time when Paul came, but they kept the name. The name of the location became the name of the assembly. And so when Paul comes into Athens, he's really, the Bible says he's greatly distressed. And the reason he's there by himself, as he's wandering through the city, just getting oriented, the place is full of temples and altars and idols. And it's just breaking his heart, this whole city is in darkness, with this, these wrong worldviews. And not, not just of that, but of the philosophers, Epicurean, Stoic philosophers, and so on. And so finally, he, through a series of events, he gets invited to go and speak to this august body, the Areopagus. And when he gets his opportunity, it's so powerful what he does. Do you remember back in 1 Corinthians 9, where Paul says, when I'm with the Jews, I'm like a Jew. When I'm with the Greeks, I'm with the Greeks. I'll do all things to save all. Well, as he's sharing with these Greeks, as he's sharing the message of Jesus, it's amazing what he does. Remember, he is deeply distressed about the paganism in their culture. 
But when he gets the chance to speak, he doesn't start by ripping on what they believe. He starts by building a bridge. He starts super positive. This is what he says. Hey, as I've wandered through your city, I've, I've noticed how religious you are. And catch this, in that world, in the ancient world, to be religious was one of the highest values. It meant to honor the gods. And so what he's, it's it'd be like me going to a New Age conference and saying, hey, as I've been here looking at all your booths, I just, I love how spiritual you are. Right? He starts with a positive. And then he says, in fact, as I was going around, I found this one this one altar to an unknown God. And he said, if it's okay with you, I'd love to talk to you about that unknown God. You see how he takes, he's building on a positive. And you can almost feel there, you can almost feel there like, okay, let's listen. And now that he's built this bridge, he's able to start talking. But you know what he does? He doesn't start with Jesus. He doesn't start with salvation. He starts with the Christian worldview. And he starts talking about the one creator who doesn't need to be served by human hands. And he talks about how this one God has sovereignly reigned over the nations of the world. And he's apportioned the times and the locations of every nation in such a way that they might seek him and seek the true God. And then to support this claim, guess what? He doesn't quote the Bible. They're not Bible readers. They don't honor the Bible. So you know what he does? He, to, after he makes his point, he quotes pagan poets who are like their philosophers but are saying the truth. And he said, like, even, even like your own poets say, in him we live and move and have our being. And so eventually he'll get to tell them about Jesus and he says that, that one day this one man's gonna judge all the world and God's proved it by raising him from the dead. Now, at this point, the crowd can't, this council can't take it. It's like a resurrection from the dead is so anti-Greek philosophy that they're like, oh, you're crazy, right? But some people do believe, but what I want you to catch is Paul was able to share the basic Christian worldview because he built, by, he built bridges. And he started with, hey, this, you're seeking God, I'm seeking God, Right? You have an, an unknown, let me tell you about that unknown God. Let me back it up with quotes from your own literature, your own authorities, you see? And so as we, uh, as we move into this kind of new era, this such a post-Christian and often anti-Christian era, that we, we need to have a new mindset of not just how, why you're wrong and why I'm right, but hey, what is right about what you believe? Let's build on that and let's build a bridge, so hopefully we'll be able to share more. Number four. Number four is lead with questions. You know, often when we think about sharing the message of Christ, we think of presenting, you know, presenting the gospel or presenting the uh, Christian worldview. And of course, there's time since that's appropriate, but notice what Peter said today and Paul will reiterate it in just a minute, where he says, if you're following Jesus, people are going to ask questions. And in the midst of a culture that's increasingly hostile to Jesus, like one of the most effective things that we can do is when spiritual topics come up, we can answer their question, but as soon as possible in the conversation, we can turn the tables back on them and ask them, well, what do you believe about these things? 
And the reason this is so powerful is because most people in our culture today don't really understand what they believe or why. Most people have absorbed their worldview from the culture, from, from TV, from uh, movies, from social media, from education. And here's the thing, often these worldviews are completely contradictory and don't even make sense. So for, like I said earlier, that I think for the average person today that, that a worldview is probably a combination between naturalism, right, that we're all here by accident, uh, just material world, combination of naturalism, postmodernism, there is no truth, it's so my truth and your truth, and new age spirituality. There's a, there's like a combination. But often what happens, a person's never really thought through, this doesn't even make sense. It doesn't, it's not even, it doesn't even coherently hold together. And often by asking questions about what they believe, that we can actually help them start thinking through. And, and like one author has said, they put a rock in their shoe. Like, have you ever been hiking and you get a little rock in your shoe? And if you're like me, you try to ignore it, right? Because you don't want to stop, untie your shoes, find a place to sit down, take your shoes. So you just try to ignore it. But you finally can't. You have, to, you have to stop down and you have to stop and deal with it. And when you get it, often it's the smallest little pebble. You're like, are you kidding me? That was causing me so much pain. Well, here's the thing. Often when we ask questions, we can help people to see that their worldview really doesn't work. It's like a pebble in their shoe. We'll come back to that later. But let me give you some examples of this. Um, so you may be talking to someone, and they say, I just believe in evolution. I believe in science. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in religion. But within a short amount of time in that conversation, they'll talk about they're searching for their purpose in life. Well, as we've seen in this series, if the naturalistic theory of evolution, where they're here as, we're here as a result of billions of years of accidents, then there is no purpose. You're an accident. The fact that you're here is an accident. There is no one to have a purpose for you. Like, you're an accident. Uh, someone might be arguing for, hey, this evolution, I, just, I don't believe in, in God. And then, and then shortly after that, they're talking about how passionate they are for social justice and those who are oppressed. But as we've seen in this series, if we're just a result of billions of years of accidents, there's no such thing as justice. There's no such thing as right and wrong. There's just what is. And so a culture can decide that we think this is right. Another culture can decide this is right. And no, there is no, there's no, there's no like judge to say one's right or not. There's just our preferences. So moral morality is just a preference. There's no difference between Hitler and his, his choice and Mother Teresa. And yet they will be arguing for a naturalist view, there is no God, and yet passionate about social justice. Do you see what I'm saying? And so sometimes we just have to ask the question, well, how does that work out in your life? Like in your way of thinking, if there is no God and, and we're just here as a result of like random chance, why would you think that there's a purpose for your life? I mean, after all, you're just gonna die and you're gonna be gone. There is no you. The whole universe is gonna burn up. So why would you like... Why would you think there's any meaning in accidents? Right? And often just by asking the question, it puts a rock in their shoe 
they can try to ignore, but the longer you walk in it, the harder it is to keep going without at some point sitting down and saying, well, what do I believe? And it's often at that point that they're more open to a Christian worldview they thought was ridiculous before, even though they know nothing about it. They'll say, well, you know, actually from a Christian point of view, if you're created by an incredible creator, then you're not here by accident. You're here by his choice, and there's meaning and purpose for your life, and he wants to help you find it. See? So obviously, we have to learn a little bit. We've got to develop a missionary mindset. We're going to have to learn a little bit about what people think and so on. But it's really not that hard. In fact, uh, there in your note sheet, one of the resources that I've recommended is a great book. And again, if you're not a reader, you can get an audio book, but it's called Tactics by Greg Kukul. And it's, it's all about this. It's all about this kind of uh, leading with questions, helping people to see where their own worldview leads. And this would be a great, awesome book maybe for a life group to go through together if your whole life group wants to do it as well. There on your note sheet, Natasha Crane um, uh, talks about this in the book that we're reading as a church, Faithfully Different. She says there, try asking questions instead of making statements. Most people enjoy talking about their view if you ask in a way that shows them you're truly interested in hearing what they have to say. Some of your questions can be oriented toward getting them to think about the basis for their beliefs and how they've arrived at their conclusions. And that's what I'm talking about. And number five, the fifth step is to make the most of every opportunity. As Peter said, if Jesus is Lord and we're following him, sooner or later people are going to ask questions. And when they ask questions, we want to make the most of every opportunity. But to do that, we have to avoid two extremes. And so let me give you the two extremes. One extreme is to say nothing. We're not prepared. They ask a question. We don't know what to say. And so we just miss the opportunity, right? That's one, we, we don't want to fall in that camp. But on the other side, that when someone asks a question, we don't have to feel like we have to share the whole Christian worldview and the whole gospel in one conversation. Often they're not asking for that. They're, just, they're asking for one thing, and we just have to see where that conversation goes. In fact, often I think it's effective to not even get excited about this. When they ask you a question, you just treat it like you could care less, but you give them the answer. Right? Inside your head, help me Jesus, right? <laughs> when you talk with people, I think most of us can recognize that our journey to Jesus happened over a long time. Most people come to Christ over a series of steps over a long time. And even with those people that their conversion seems very sudden and dramatic. Often when you talk with them, they look back over their life, they can see all these moments where God was preparing them. There was a, a neighbor in third grade. They came from a horrible family, but there a neighbor in third grade. There was a Christian family. We just always loved being in that home. It was just so warm and loving. There was a fifth grade experience where someone invited them to church, and they remember kind of enjoying that. It was seventh grade science teacher that seemed to actually kind of believe in God. There's just these series of events that they, they, they were like pearls that hadn't been strung together. But when the, the moment of dramatic conversion comes, they can look back, and now suddenly you can be, see how they string together. And so here's what I want you to catch. 
is that when we talk about someone coming to Christ, that everyone you know who is not yet a follower of Jesus, every friend, every coworker, uh, every person in the media who's not yet a follower of Jesus is somewhere on a, on a spectrum of zero to 10. So let me draw this out. So at this end of the spectrum is a zero. What would a zero be? Someone who hates Jesus, hates Christianity, uh, maybe like a new atheist that thinks uh, religion is the bane of the world. If all religious people were killed, the world would be a much better place, and especially Christians. That's a zero, right? On a 10, what was a 10? A 10 is someone who just prayed to ask Jesus in their life. So what I'm suggesting is every person that you know that's not a follower is somewhere on this scale of one to 10. So our job is to help them go from zero to 10. Now catch this, our job is never to save someone. That's God's job, right? Our job is like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, one plants and one waters, but God gives a growth. Our job is just to be the one who plants and waters, And so this is so helpful because sometimes we feel like to share Christ with someone, we have to share the entire gospel message and answer every question they have and the whole Christian worldview and have them pray the sinner's prayer. But actually, often our assignment is just to get person from three to 3.1. And so in a conversation, it may just be a small conversation, but we put that rock in their shoe, we're kind of moving them along. Or maybe you have the opportunity to help someone move from a three to a five or a five to a seven. Maybe you have the privilege of of watching someone go from nine to 10 and you get to lead them to the Lord. But our job is not to get them from zero to 10 in one conversation. It's to help them take the next step on their journey. And what that means is that when they're asking questions, we need to be prepared to answer them and we just need to read them. We need to read them and read the Holy Spirit. What's he giving us to say? And sometimes there'll be more, and other times it's just it. You just answer the question. So they ask you something like this. Wow, you're re- have you always been really religious? They're not going to tell you the subtext. The subtext is, I've been watching you, and I'm really intrigued. And you seem a little weird. <laughs> and there's a lot of things I don't get, but there's something about you that I like. And there's something about you that's interesting to me, but I don't want to have a big conversation. I don't want you guys sharing Jesus with me. Right? <laughs> so, I, so I'm just going to say, hey, have you always been so religious? And act like I don't care. But they're actually opening a door. And our job is just to answer that question and then to watch how they respond. If they want more, they'll probably ask for more. Maybe you ask them a question about, well, how about you? Have you it seems like you're not real religious. Has that always been? Well, I grew up in church, but then I, I stopped in sixth grade, and I, I just started, it's, it's all about science. Oh, really? What is it about science? that like? Because actually, you know, I don't know if you knew this, but the scientific revolution was really fueled by Christians. I don't know if you knew that. I mean, you just take it where it goes. It may be nowhere, it may be a little. And so we, we, we don't want to make the mistake of, of trying to, of missing the opportunity, but we don't want to try to make more of the opportunities there. And this is what Paul, Paul says in Colossians 4, such a great passage. He says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, people that are not yet believers. He says, make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation, as you're having a spiritual conversation with them, 
Let your conversation always be full of what? Grace. Grace. So notice, Peter says gentleness and respect. Here, Paul says grace, and he says season with salt. You know, make it tasty. He says, so that you may know how to what? Do you see what's happening again? Same thing. Paul says, if you follow Jesus, people are going to ask questions. And he said, when they do, he says, make the most of that opportunity. Your conversation be seasoned with, it should always be full of grace as we do. And so when people ask, be ready. Make the most of every opportunity. Don't try to make more of it, but don't miss it. Okay, so here's five important steps. I think as we leave this series, we kind of move out in the future as a church, in our own lives, that we want to embrace the assignment. Hey, it's going to get tougher. Persecution will, will increase, but we can't pull back with a fortress mentality. We follow the king. We're under orders. We're to make disciples. Number two, develop a missionary mindset. We're going to have to study. We're going to have to know our story. We're going to have to know their story. It's going to require some learning. Number three, we need to start by building bridges. When we're having conversations, look for what we have in common. Build on those things. Number four, lead with questions. Ask them what they believe. Don't, don't let them just put you in a corner what you believe. Ask what they believe. Help them to see where that, where that uh, belief system leads. And then finally, make the most of every opportunity. Now, as we wrap up this series, I have two final questions for you. They're there in your note sheet. So the first question goes like this. What is your next step? So we spent eight weeks together talking about worldview. We're coming to the end, but what's your next step? You may remember that you know, this whole series is called Worldview Renewing Your Mind, and that tagline comes from Romans chapter 12. And the very first two weeks, we, we focused in on this powerful passage, I think one of the most important in our New Testament, where Paul says that, he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. In other words, don't, don't think like the world. Don't think through their, the lens of their worldview. He said, but be transformed um, by the renewing of your mind. So God has a vision for your life. It's not just to come to Jesus and be saved. It's to be transformed to be like him, to be the people you're created to be. He says, but for that transformation to happen, you have to change the way you think. Your mind has to be renewed. And he says, then at that point, you know, when your mind's renewed, then you'll be able to test and approve. I like the word demonstrate or the word experience what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So Paul says, hey, when you come to Jesus, it's not just about getting saved. It's about being transformed. You come to him. You're restored in your relationship with God. You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You've got his word now. And so, so God's on a mission to transform your life. But for that to happen, your mind has to be renewed. You have to change the way you think. And that starts with worldview, the most important questions in life. And he says, and as that changes, you'll be able to experience his will. He's got a will for your life. It's good. It's pleasing. It's perfect. But to experience it, we have to be transformed. And that requires the renewing of your mind. So the question I have when I say, what's your next step, is what's the next step in your renewal process? What's the next step in your transformation process? For example, some of us here, maybe some of us online, that we've gone through this series, we're not yet a follower of Jesus. And in this series... We've, we've shown how every other worldview doesn't really align with reality of the world as it is. 
how it's not a reliable map, how it always ends to a dead end uh, or to a sheer cliff, and how it's impossible to really live it out in real life. Because it's, it's, it's not aligned with the truth of the way things really are. And we've taken the time to show how the Christian worldview is the only map that actually leads us to the life we were created to live and aligns with reality of the real world. But sooner or later, we can't just leave this in the realm of our intellect. Sooner or later, we have to decide, is Jesus who he claims to be or not? And if he is, give him our life and start this journey of transformation. And for some of you here or some of you online, that may be your step. Uh, for others of it, of the next step in, in our worldview and our renewal process is we need to get more serious about just this regular renewing of our mind. And that we need to kind of follow this three-legged stool model of spiritual renewal we often talk about here, that we need to make coming to church a priority. Like, not so we can check a box, but so that here with worship and with the teaching of the word, our minds can be renewed. For some of you who are watching online, I know some of you have very good reasons why you can't be here, but my hunch is that there are many of you that just got out of the habit during COVID not being here. It's just comfortable being at home, and I get that, but it's not the same as being here. And I just want to encourage you, hey, it's time. And if it's not here, find another church that's near you, that is teaching the word and Christian worldview. But it starts with, with being together in these times. It, goes, it continues with being in a small group of people, iron sharpening iron, where we can be helping each other develop and see things from God's point of view. And then, and then for this to really work, we need to become students of the word ourselves. And there's so many ways, audio, reading, uh, online videos, there's so many ways, but to actually read the word of God for ourselves, and so our mind is being transformed. For others of us here, we really need to repent. That maybe at the start of this series, we didn't realize this, but we call ourselves a Christian, but we're really a mix of worldviews. We, we like we're a Christian, but we've got some naturalism thrown in. We've got some postmodernism thrown in. We've got some... Uh, kind of a dash of new age spirituality. And we're sort of a mix. And we, through this series, we're realizing, wow, I, I've got my foot in two camps. Like I'm following Jesus here, but I'm following the world here. And for some of us, it's time for us to say, hey, it's time to come home. It's time to, to turn, to be renewed in our minds. You know, to repent means to change the way you think in the Greek, metanoao, to change the way we think. And so it's, it's time for me to stopping one foot in and one foot out. I, I need to become a follower of Jesus and let my world, the way I see life, be seen the way he sees life as is reflected in his word. And then for many of us here, the step will be that, hey, we, we really do need to get some more education. We need to learn some more. We need to download that book or start watching these videos. We need to check out this website. We need to start listening to this podcast. But we need to understand our story and we need to understand these stories that are influencing our culture so we can truly be transformed, we can follow Jesus faithfully, and we can be used to help others come. But what is your next step? The second question, as we bring this series to a close, is who is God calling you to build a bridge to? Who is God calling you to build a bridge to? 
So we've talked today about sharing Christ, about building bridges. And who is it in your life that God wants you to get equipped and prepared to build a bridge to? You know, several years ago, we introduced a concept that's called our one life. So are one lives. You can have more than one. But the concept of a one life is that someone who's already in our life, someone we already know, have a relationship with, but that we begin to pray for regularly for them to come to Christ. We begin to build a real relationship, love them well. And so when the time comes that they ask questions, we're able to do what we've talked about today, share a little bit of our story, a little bit of God's story. And at the appropriate point, invite them to come to see, come and, come and experience this you know, with us. And so as we come to the end of this series, like who is it in your life specifically that you need to prepare so when they ask questions, you can answer? Who are your one lives? What we're gonna do right now is inside your program, there's a, there's a card. In fact, there's about 18 cards. But the one, the, one, the one I'm talking about is this one right here. It's probably less wrinkled than mine. Um, but on one side, it says building bridges. And the other side, it says my next step is. Did you find it? Okay. One person found it. That's good. All right. So you got Great. So here's what I want you, here's what we're going to do. We're going to end this, end this, uh, this, this uh, service today in a way different than normal. That um, we're going to end with two songs, a two song set here. And it's during this time, I'm going to be asking you just to go before the Lord and asking the Lord, hey, what is your next step? And to be asking, who are the people that you're calling me to build bridges to? As the Lord puts something on your heart, and he said, you just jot it down. And, that, and then after you've jotted down, I'm going to give you an option of two things to do. For some of you, you might just feel the best thing to do is to hold on to your card and keep it in your Bible or your iPad as a reminder of this commitment that you're making to the Lord today. But for others of you, it may be way more meaningful, and I think for many it will be, to take this card and to come forward in a symbolic way before the Lord. And we've placed four buckets here along the stage with these lights, these candles, that you just bring this as your offering, your response before the Lord and saying, Lord, I want to come before you and I'm going to take this next step to learn so that I can be renewed, so I can be transformed, so I don't fall into the traps of our culture and so that I can be used by you to be a bridge over which other people can come to know you. And so I, I bring my card as my offering and you just drop it in. And you feel free to stay and pray or go to the side and pray, whatever you want to do. This is going to be a time where we're going to be just be singing and worshiping and asking God to speak and then responding. That as we say here, we listen and then we follow. Amen? Let's stand together. So let me, let me pray us in. So Father, we come before you right now. We come in the name of King Jesus, the Lord, the King of all creation, who's commanded us to go into all the world and to share his message of his life, his death and resurrection, to share the story of his word. That's the story of our lives. And so, Lord, we want to come today and we want to say, Lord, we want to be renewed. We want to be transformed. We want to be conformed to the thinking of this world. We want to be transformed 
by the renewing of our minds. And so today, Lord, we bring you our offerings. We say to you, yes, Lord, that we will take these next steps that you're putting in our heart. And yes, we will begin praying and building relationships with these people. And we'll begin studying and learning so that when they ask questions, we're ready. That we no longer just feel like we don't know what to say because we're prepared. And we can just gently share. We can ask questions and help them think through issues as we plant, as we water, that you would give the growth and call them to faith. We pray this in your name. Amen.